Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Trinity family. So happy to be back with you guys. I've been missing you for the last two weeks, and it's just good to be back in church. Um, I am incredibly grateful for you guys. I was interviewed uh, this week on, I guess it was Thursday, um, from our diocese, and they kind of, they interview all the different churches in the diocese, you know, one every week, and they just kind of check up on you. And so there were two interview questions. The first one, what is something you were grateful for? And the first thing that popped into my mind was you guys. I'm just so grateful for you and just all the love that you guys have shown us and cared for us. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're not familiar, you might not know, our boy flipped over uh, the handlebars of his scooter um, a little over a week ago and hit his head. And um, let's just say he wasn't right for at least 24 hours. <laughs> it was super scary. Um, Thanks be to God, he is since back to himself for good and, and, and for bad, as you might have seen here this morning already. Um, but we're so, we're so thankful for him. And we're thankful for you. You guys have just cared for us so well. Show concern, love, and prayer for us. You guys have been cooking for us. Uh, we've had to, we had to quarantine at home for other reasons uh, this last week. And so it's been wild, but you guys have been so good to us, and we're so thankful. It's not just that. You guys have just... Um, not only just loved us, but you guys are just here for this. You guys are here for this church. You're like all in. Um, I learned that was on Thursday. Later on, on Friday, I learned I got our, our budget giving for December just to see how the year end went. You guys knocked it out the park. Let's just say you far exceeded uh, their projection of our giving for what it might be. Um, and that's just one more sign that tells me that you guys are just all in for this and really are believing God to see a move uh, here in our church and, and through our church for the world. And I'm super excited about that. This morning, if you're a little bit liturgically confused, uh, I'll take full responsibility for that. So today is the feast of the baptism of our Lord, which is always the first Sunday after the Epiphany. Often Epiphany happens during the week, as it did this week. It happened on Thursday, right? January 6th, if you didn't know. And so I wanted to this morning, instead of doing the readings for, from Baptism of Our Lord, I thought it was super important for us uh, to talk about the Epiphany, um, which in the West, at least, we consider the Epiphany to be the visit of the wise men or the revelation of Christ to the wise men, you might say. Uh, the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles is the official name of the day in the West. Actually, in the East, the Baptism of Our Lord is the Epiphany because it's on that day, right, that, that God says, this is my son. And folks hear it for the first time. So anyway, all that to say, we're doing the readings from January 6th because I thought it might be important for us to talk about as a church family. Now, as we start off, I want you to think of a friend or maybe a relative, someone that you love, that if you think about them, they seem really far off from Jesus. Like you love them, maybe you're praying for them, but they seem like one of the least likely people you would expect to come to faith or maybe to come to church. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, or maybe you're, you're with us worshiping online, and you feel like that about yourself. You're like, you know what? I'm here, but I kind of feel like I am far from Jesus. I'm not sure I want to do this Christian thing. Well, if you had asked me this very question in the year 2006, while I was a missionary living in Berlin, working with students, who that might be? Well, one person I might have named is my friend, Aitzen. Aitzen 
grew up in Germany, but in a Turkish Muslim home, as Germany has millions of, of Turkish Muslims, if you don't know. And she happened to be uh, a childhood friend of another woman named Natalie, who was a student in our group, a very committed, a very kind, and a very prayerful Christian. And she was living with Natalie in her home. Uh, there were roommates together. And Natalie invited Aiton into her life of prayer, and she brought her to our student ministry gatherings. And so it was through this that Aiton and I became close friends. In fact, there's a picture of us three when we met uh, the German chancellor, Angela Merkel. Uh, but that's a whole other story for a different day. We won't go there. I might have to repost the picture later or something on Facebook. It's one of my favorite things to share. But uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about Aiton. And at one of our gatherings, there was a guy named Philip, another really funny story. Uh, but Philip was talking with her, and he just asked her like a, like a simple inquisitive question. Like, in Islam, is there this thing called the Holy Spirit? Like, do you guys have a Holy Spirit? Something about that conversation sparked Aiton's curiosity. And so she went home that night, and as she was laying in her bed, she just prayed a simple prayer to God. God, if this Holy Spirit thing is real, I want you to show me. Now, I don't know exactly what happened in that room in that night, but something happened, and she woke up her roommate, Natalie, and she said, something happened. I feel God. Something is, is happening, and I'm not sure uh, what to do. We have to talk. God showed up in that room. Aiton had an encounter with God. God had revealed himself in a brand new way, and a few months later, at Easter, in a freezing cold lake on the edge of Berlin, we baptized Aiton. I want you guys to know this is not at all common. There are millions of Turks there in Germany, and rarely do any of them convert to Christianity. Aiton had what we might call an epiphany. Epiphany means revelation. It's like a covering. So it'd be like if I had in here and you didn't know what it was and I showed you, you know, what was behind the veil. Epiphany, epi means knowledge. Feni means a revelation or a showing. It's a showing of a knowledge that you didn't know, something that has been revealed to you. This morning, we're not just going to talk about an epiphany. We're going to talk about the epiphany, the epiphany of our Lord. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in church and you've been hearing a lot of, you know, the story of the wise men and you've seen some like Christmas plays, for me, kind of growing up, the wise men were just kind of this funny, kind of cute thing, you know? It's like, of course, the wise men were always really cool in, in the pageant, right? They got to wear some cool clothes, right? I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of, I like camels. They're cool, right? Like if I get to ride a camel, I would like that. So it's kind of fun. And wise men are great in Christmas pageants and in nativity scenes, what we call a crash. But other than that, some of us wouldn't know why this thing called epiphany is a big deal. Some of us are probably like, really, John? Like you wanted to stop what we were doing and read that thing about the wise men? And what I want you guys to know is that far from being a cute side story in the life of Jesus, I want to suggest to you this morning that the epiphany is central to who we are and what we're doing as a church at Trinity Northside. The text begins like this. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, 
Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. Who are these wise men? Well, they are a people on a spiritual journey. The text says they came from the east, and we don't know exactly where it is in the east, but a lot of Bible scholars think it's probably referencing somewhere in, in Babylon or as far as Persia. And if you do the math on something like that, the journey is like a thousand miles. And I don't know if you guys have ever driven a thousand miles in the car, but it's a long drive. And you can imagine if you're riding a camel or walking or horses or something, what kind of journey that must have been. Something is driving them. They are in search of something. They have seen a light. And it has sparked their spiritual curiosity. They were indeed very far from Christ. Maybe a thousand miles away. But something is drawing them to Israel's Messiah. Something we can notice in the text is that, yes, they see a light, and that light is calling them and speaking to them, but they actually still need a little directions when they get there, right? They show up in Jerusalem like, okay, we've seen the light, and the light has brought us this far, but we've gotten as far as we can come. And what do they need? They need someone that's more familiar with the scriptures to help them along, right? And so they, they, they call some folks that know a little bit more about the Bible, and they say, help us figure this out. A light has got us this far. Where will the Messiah be born, Right? And then I want you to notice, for the reason which they express, that they have traveled for this one uh, express purpose. They have come to pay him homage, the text says. Now, that's kind of a funny word we don't normally use. Some, some versions of the Bible just translate that as worship. And it's a, it's a word in Greek called proskunio. And for now, I'll just tell you, it just means to bow down. So it can be, you know, you can, uh, emperor comes, you can bow down at their feet to kind of pay respect and, and acknowledge their greatness. But you all also can do the same thing before God himself. It's to prostrate oneself. But who exactly are these wise men? Who are they in the text? You probably know that sometimes we call them magi. But what are magi? Well, magi are magicians. They're magicians. They're court astrologers who would have provided kings with some kind of wisdom or insight into the future, and thus the term wise men. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but in the Bible, magicians don't have a good reputation. In fact, this word magician itself appears one other time in Acts. It's in Acts 13, and there's this game, guy named Bar-Jesus. He's got two names. One's Bar-Jesus, the other one's Elimus, right? And this is what Paul has to say to the magician. This is what he says to him. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? So that's... Another spot about magic, and really all throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the God of Israel prohibits the people from practicing sorcery or magic or astrology. And yet, 
quite surprisingly, these are the kinds of people that are showing up at the birth of Jesus. Gentile pagan astrologers have come to bow down at the feet of the Jewish Messiah. These people are people from far off. They're the least likely people you would ever expect to step foot in church. They're the least likely people you would ever expect to seek out Israel's Messiah. And yet, here they are. God has drawn them. God has brought them here. He has shown them the light. Friends, this is the good news of Epiphany. The one true God, the God who made us and loved us, he made himself known to the people of Israel. But for those of us, if you're like me and didn't belong to Israel, we didn't know the one true God that made us and loved us. We had no idea. We were sitting literally in darkness. And then God did something for us. When we didn't have revelation, God sent an epiphany. God showed us what he was like in the person of Jesus Christ. The good news of of epiphany is that God is revealing Christ to the nations, showing the whole, whole world what he is like through Jesus Christ. That means that people like me and you get to be included in God's story. This is good news. And so the wise men get some direction, and they head down to Bethlehem. And then verse 10 says this, And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. Joy is what happens when you finally find Christ after searching for a Messiah for such a long time. And then on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage, or they worshipped him. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, what does a story like this say for the life of our church? How do we respond Well, the first question I have for you is, have you seen the light? Where are you in your spiritual journey? Are you looking to find Christ? Where are you located today? Maybe you're, you're all the way back there in Persia or in Babylon, far off. Well, what's keeping you from starting a journey? What's keeping you from taking the first steps in that direction to explore the light that is calling you? Maybe today you're not so far off. Maybe you're really close. Maybe you're almost there. Maybe you today are ready to experience that joy that the wise men experienced when they met Christ. Today in our reading of Isaiah, we recalled God's promises to this very tiny, obscure ethnic group we call Israel. And it is from the prophet Isaiah. And he said that there would be a day when a light would shine, and that the Gentile nations, the nations of the earth, would be drawn to that light. And people who are far off would come to worship the one 
true God. And friends, this morning I'm here to tell you that over the last 2,000 years, this has been happening over and over again. Literally every day, more and more people from around the globe are coming and seeing the light and putting their faith in Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning if God might be inviting you into his story. Two, I want to ask you, have you seen the missionary heart of God? Now, this story is, in a way, a very universal story, but it's also a very particular story. I want you to see the universal and the particular. It's universal because God's arms are open wide literally to everyone. The people you would least expect to be written into a Jewish narrative, right? Like, if you don't know, like, Matthew's gospel is super Jewish, right? Like, this is chapter 2. Chapter 1 is this long lineage. They're just naming all these Hebrew people, right, to make sure you know Jesus, like, goes all the way back to Abraham, right? Spends a lot of time doing that. And then in the subsequent chapters, like, Matthew's really working hard to show you how Jesus is the new Moses. He's like the giver of the new law. Like, he's showing you how to live in grace, right? Like, it is a very Jewish story. And yet, in the middle of that very Jewish story... The door is open crazy wide to the people you would least ever expect to be written into that story. And so what I want you to see this morning is God's missionary heart. He loves everyone that he's made. He's calling everyone to his table through the waters of baptism. It's very universal, but in a way it's very particular, isn't it? A few chapters later, well, at the end of, at the, end of the book, Jesus is going to say to his disciples, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. So what do I want you to do? I want you to make, I want you to baptize people from all the nations. I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a very universal but also very particular way of living, right? Like I want you to baptize them into the name of the triune God, the one true God. And I want you to make Teach them to be apprentices of me in the same way I've been making you apprentices of me all of this time. It's the universal call of God to all people to put their faith in the one triune God. Third, I want to ask you, have you made a home for the light? Now, this one is kind of funny, but if you notice, if you look at the text... When the wise men find the light, they find the light in a home. They find the light in a home being held by a mother, right? They walk in and they find the Messiah being held by his mother, Mary. Joseph and Mary made a home for the light. They were changing the light diapers. Mary was waking up two and three times a night to breastfeed the light of the world. And then Mary and Joseph opened their home to these magi Gentile strangers. What a bizarre story for a group of Jews. Friends, there are folks in Atlanta and maybe even folks that are part of our church that are seeking the light. And the question I'm asking this morning is, what would it look like for us to be a people of hospitality what would it look like for us to be a people that nurture the light of Christ? 
I pointed out earlier, the wise men have some questions about the Messiah when they show up and they need some help with the scriptures. And one way we can make a home for the light is simply through our community groups. We've got a little sign up out there on that table in, in the lobby uh, for you guys to sign up, just even express interest in a community group. This is what would work for me. And if you think about community groups, they're places of hus- hospitality. There are places where people can encounter the light. There are places where we read scripture together, places where we pray for one another and encourage one another. That's just one of many ways that we can be people, in a sense, that nurture the light and create a home for the light to dwell so that folks on a journey like these wise men can discover the light. Fourth and finally, I want to ask you, have you become light? Now, to me, I don't know about you guys, but this one seems even crazy wild. But if we look into the prophecy from Isaiah, not only does God's light shine on his people, but his people actually begin to radiate the light. Listen to what it says in verse, in verse 2. There's a shift. The Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. And then in verse, in verse 3. And the nations shall come to your light. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice. At Christmas, when we reflect on the incarnation, I had reminded you about this saying from St. Athanasius, his summary of the gospel. God became like us so that we could become like him. And at Epiphany, we could say something very similar. Christ manifested himself to us so that we might manifest Christ to the world. Think about it. Christ is the light of the world, right? It's very clear in John 1 that Christ is the light of the world. And yet in Matthew, he says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. What does it look like when we not only see the light and receive the light, but also begin to allow the light to transform us so that we become light and the light of Christ for a dark world. I was speaking with uh, a member of our Trinity family this week, and she reminded me of a story about her husband and a coworker. And her husband, at least in her own estimation, is kind of a quiet person, not the kind of person that would push anything on anybody. But that coworker was a part of a, he was a part of a cult. And he ended up coming out of the cult. And when he did, one of the reasons why he gave for why he left the cult was that he could see the light of Christ literally emanating from this coworker. Now, who would have thought? Who would have thought something like that? could happen. He saw the light of Christ shining through her husband. Something was different about his light-bathed 
life, the light of Christ shining through him, caused this cult member to wake up and see clearly. And I pray that the same kind of thing can happen for us, both individually and collectively as a church. And so we pray, God, reveal your son to us in all his radiant glory. Transform us into his image that we may radiate his light for the people of Atlanta. Shine your light, reveal yourself, and draw all people to the brightness of your dawn. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. Now I want to invite you into a moment of silent reflection as we reflect on what the Spirit might be saying to us in this time.